a sweet time of worship. What a moment. And um, it's amazing how God works with us and how God leads us. I mean, the band knows that we are preaching in a certain direction, but I have not spoken to them exactly what I'm preaching on. And every single song was actually preaching my sermon. Like in every single song. Thank you, guys. So, and it's not just because it's about Jesus, okay? We always speak about Jesus. This is really, um, and I pray this morning as you open up your heart that God will reveal to you, myself, who He really is. And uh, people ask me, Phil, is this your last time you preach here? I hope not. Let's see. <laughs> You know, so I'm not, we're not leaving the family, we just, uh, but this is an amazing morning to basically do a send-off moment and uh, preaching and continuing with our series that we preach on counterculture, being different. Now, we're not just being different because we're being rebellious, because that's rebellious. We are being different because Christ is different. Christianity is totally different from the world around us. And as being a counterculture, it's not because it's by choice, it's actually by design. Good catch. <laughs> All right. So we're going to continue this morning talking about counterculture. And I want to simplify this morning. I'm going to speak specifically into discipleship. Why is discipleship being counterculture and actually a disciple? Discipleship is just the process. You won't find the word discipleship in the Bible. Discipleship is basically just the process by which we produce a certain kind of person. Discipleship is actually a process by which you produce disciples. The disciples you find right through the Bible, in fact, the Bible speaks more about being a disciple than it speaks about being a Christian. In fact, the Christians never referred to themselves as Christians. They were actually referred to as Christians by other people. And I think it's only four times in the Bible. But being a disciple means it, it really sets it apart. It puts, us, it puts th these people in a total different category, and it made them really stand out, very different from the crowd and the people around them. And we're going to look into that this morning. What does it mean? I'm going to focus specifically on Luke 14, verse 25 to 33. Luke 14, verse 25 says, Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and he does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then we jump to verse 33. See, it's the third time he says, so therefore, if, any, uh, if, if anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And we call these the, the cannot statements that Jesus made. 
Now, you and I are reading this in a passage, and usually these are the scriptures kind of, let me read through the Bible, let me jump past this passage, because we're not understanding what Jesus is saying. If you really get a grasp and understand what Jesus is saying here, you will actually see love in a way you've never seen it. You would actually understand true Christianity like you've never understood it. And in fact, without this, we cannot. We cannot be the disciples. We cannot understand it. We cannot move on. Now, let's take it as we go from there. It says, first of all, it says, a great crowd, a great crowd. Jesus had a magnetic, just not just a personality, but the power of God and being God had this magnetic kind of attraction that people would just naturally attracted to him. People started to walk behind Jesus. The crowds were like curious, what's he going to do next? And this is a great crowd following Jesus. This does not mean that they were actually following Jesus. It means they were curious. It means they were pitching up at events. They were pitching up at moments where Jesus was preaching or Jesus was doing things. And the moment you do a miracle, obviously people run to, to that moment. You know, so many times you find crowds are attracted to something happening. It doesn't mean they're part of that. This is the same moment, yeah, this crowd was attracted to something about Jesus. I mean, if you get free meals, won't you be attracted if you suddenly see somebody walk on the water, would you not come and say, let me go and see how this person walk on water? It doesn't mean you can walk on water. You just want to see a person walking on water, performing supernatural miracles. And the crowd was attracted to Jesus. But was the crowd really willing to follow Jesus? Was the crowd really willing to pay the price? Are they really finding the value in Christ that's worth paying the price? You see, the crowd does not mean that they suddenly were separate because they were walking behind Jesus, before they were curious, because they were curious that they were actually different from the crowd and different from the world. No, they were from the world. They were normal people from a normal society, and they were representing that society. And as they come and curious about what Jesus is doing, did not mean they were standing out. They were different from. They were not. They were still representing the same worldly culture where they come from. See, this brings me to the next point. He says, if anyone. So Jesus looks at this crowd. He looks at these people. And a few times before, if you read in all the gospels, you'll find Jesus said, come follow me. And that follow was kind of left open-ended that you can define what it means. So for some person, you could define following Jesus means I could keep all my stuff. I can still do my certain things. I can still continue the lifestyle I want to continue. I can, you know, it, there's no price required. Yes, that's easy. Let me follow Jesus. You see, this is the first time that Jesus turned it up 20 notches and says, let me clarify what it means if you want to follow me. Let me clarify the gap and the confusion, what it means to follow me. But he starts with, says, if anyone, if anyone desires, if anyone wants, what is Jesus saying? It says it's personal. It's your choice. There's no manipulation. There's no force. There's no obligation. It is a choice. Anyone, anyone, if you want to follow me, it's open. You're welcome to come. But if you want to, it's almost like if I say to you, if anyone wants to buy this phone, you're welcome to. What's going to cost you? There's a price to it. If you're willing to pay the price, you can have the phone. It's open to anyone, first come, first serve. 
He's saying, if anyone wants to follow me, it's an open invitation. It is actually a out of the crowd, come if you want to come. There's no obligation. He's not manipulating anybody. You see, if you don't understand this invitation correctly, you could misinterpret Christianity as forceful, legalistic. It's because you missed the starting block. You have a choice. You have a choice. It's a free choice. But the free choice does not mean there's no requirements. You have a free choice. We want to be here this morning. You have a free choice which car you want to buy. But you don't have a free choice what you pay for the car. There's a price tag on that car. There's a price tag on things. There's a price tag. You have a free choice you want to marry. But there's a price tag when you want to marry. She's going to say to you, you can marry me, but then you leave everybody else out. I'm only, me. Eyes for me alone. Then it goes on and says, if anyone, which is an invitation, comes to me. What does this comes to me mean? It's not just personal, it's also spiritual. He's saying out of the crowd, if anyone, anyone wants to come to me, which directly the invitation here is an invitation to salvation and not just to following. It's an invitation to a new lifestyle. As you've come to the end of yourself and you've realized that I can no longer live like this. I no longer am happy with the way that I live in my lifestyle. I need a transformation. And Jesus, you can come to me. I am the salvation and the sanctification that you require, that you need. It's directly implied on salvation when you come to Jesus. It means you have to come to a place where you say, Lord, I am willing to let go of the things that I have and come towards you. Now, from this passage, as we see an open invitation to salvation, sanctification, there's three conditions that Jesus puts down. Now, we may quickly jump to a conclusion, wow, these conditions are harsh. Wow, anyone hates his family? You know, give up everything? It's like, wow, this, this, is, this call is way too hard. And we can easily, through our cultural eyes, read into Scripture what's really meant here. And I want to help us to get the right understanding this morning. And we're going to unpack it, all three of them, separately. So let's go to verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sister, and yes, even himself, the first call, the first condition is Christ says, I'm above all your relationships, you yourself included. Now, why hate? I mean, this is contradictory because the Bible says you should honor your father and your mother. You should, if don't come to the altar, if you have something against your brother, lay it at the altar. Go first and go make right. The Bible says they will know you by your love for one another. So why is God now kind of contradicting himself by saying you should hate now? You see, Matthew 10 verse 37 gives us a little bit different angle on it. Matthew 10 verse 37 says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves his son, his daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If you look at this whole context here, he's talking about the word hate. The hate word here is not so much the typical emotional malice condition, malicious condition where you, you actually have an emotional something against somebody else, it was actually more a sense where you were placing one thing before the other. 
If I say to you, which one do you want? The cell phone or the water? If you're in the desert, you may want the water, okay? Because there's no signal, okay? But if you are sitting here this morning, you say, I'm going to take the cell phone. Why? Because it's more worth. It's worthy of more. It's, it's, it's the value is higher on the cell phone than the water. Are you, the, the, in the same context, it says, now what you're doing is you're actually saying, I love the water less than the cell phone. You are choosing. When you get married, you are saying to the one woman, I love you more than any other woman. And it should stay like that for life. You see, when you have your own children, you are loving the one more than the other. It doesn't mean that you are really hating someone else. It means that you are knowing what is first and what is second. That's what he's saying here. Jesus is challenging them. He says, you should love your father. You should love your mother because he's commanding that. You should love one another. He's commanding that. You should love your brother. He's commanding that. He says, but here's the arrogance of society. You think that you can love apart from the source. You cannot. You think that you have everything inside of your soul to love apart from me? He says, unless you start to love me first, you will never able to love anybody else. You are hating if you don't love me first. I am first. The arrogance in our soul to think we can love people. We can love our managers. We can love our wives. We can love our children. We can love our neighbors. We can love the unlovable. It's impossibility. But that impossible becomes possible when we realize who Christ is. He says, I am the source and you are not. And if you want to know what's the most loving thing you can do is to love me first and everything else second. You see in Exodus 29 verse 31, you see the same emphasis where the Lord saw that Leah was hated. The Greek word for that is not hate in that sense. It's misio, which means that she was less affectionate towards her, less devoted towards her. Doesn't mean she was hated. It means that Jacob loved someone else more. In the same moment here, Christ said to me, we need to love him more. You see, when you look, we live in a society that chooses to love everything else more. We live in a society when there is love and marriage, they want to change that. We live in a society that wants to cross every gender and everything and speak against truth and all kinds of things. Why? Because they have, are confused. They don't understand what love is. Apart from Christ, we are confused. Apart from Christ, we have no more truth. Apart from Christ, there is no more standard. Apart from Christ, there is no definition on marriage. There is no definition on man, being a man, being a woman. Apart from Christ, there is no truth. It's not just a small price that you are paying by not putting Christ for first. It's when you don't put Christ first, you are paying the ultimate price of living a life apart from Christ. And he's calling the crowd and he says, if anyone wants to come out of this confused state, you're going to have to pay the price. Because if there's no price, there is no value. Goes on. In a marriage, the most loving thing that you in your marriage can do for your children is what? It's to love your wife first. To love your wife so that your children know we love you, but mommy comes first. 
It's the most loving thing you can do in a marriage. Does it mean that you hate your children? No, it means that you actually are loving your children. When you don't love your wife first, then you are busy now with the wrong side. Now you're busy bringing something to your marriage that is not healthy. You love your wife first. That's the same condition, the same context here. Friends, we live in a world where Christ and his kingdom is many times loved less. When it comes to time, Christ is second, third. When it comes to finances, Christ is second, third, or sometimes not at all. When it comes to your priorities, when it comes to our business, oh, but I'm, I'm this or that. You see, we quickly can find a worldly thinking and say we are set apart. We are disciples who follow Christ. It means we are different from the world. We have started, we've discovered the value in Christ to such an extent that we are willing to pay the whole price to make sure Christ is first, preeminent in everything we do. He's above every single relationship that defines us. We prioritize him above family. We prioritize him above children. We prioritize him above having babies. We prioritize him above friendships. We prioritize him above colleagues. He is first. It's very clear. You see, when we put him first, it will redefine how you treat your colleagues. When you put him first, it will redefine how you raise your children. When you put him first, it will redefine how you love your wife, how you love your husband. Because when Christ is first, he is the source of all the life that we need. It's interesting why the Bible, the Bible continues and say, you know, bring your whole tithe and offerings to the storehouse first. Then the rest. Why? It's not about money. It's again about the priority and the value of following Christ. 2 Timothy 3 verse 2 to 5 says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasing, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, they like the crowd, they pitch up, but deny its power. Avoid such people. The Bible is drawing a very clear line. We're living in a world, look around us, and you'll see it's not fun. It's not just the people out there. It's the crowd many times that we see. He's calling us to be different. The second counterculture calling here that Jesus Putting in front of them, he says, Christ before, self-defined purpose, pleasure, comfort. Christ before my business. Christ before my calling. Christ before my desires. Everything. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. First of all, he says, his own. It's again personal. See, when it comes to bear your cross, not everybody's cross looks the same. Our crosses looks different. When you look at Jesus, he had to endure the cross. What does it mean? He was purposed to die for every man's sin on the face of the earth. None of us are called to do that. We are not there to bear the sin of the world upon our shoulders. It was Jesus already wore the whole weight of sin on him when he died on the cross. You see, what he's talking about when it comes to the cross, it's personal. Lord, what is it that you're asking me? His own, it's personal. Come after me, it's sacrificial. It's continual. 
Come after me. Take up your cross. Follow me daily, the one scripture says. What does it mean? It means today and then tomorrow when I wake up again, it's a Lord again. I'm taking on my cross. I'm taking and I'm walking behind you and I'm following you. I'm allowing the stature of Christ to be formed in me. I'm allowing myself to become more like Jesus on a daily basis. It's not just a once of decision. It's every moment when we face the fill that is not yet counterculture. Counterculture in my marriage. Lord, this is an area of me that I still look like the world. Help me to come after you. Help me to become like you. Help me to transition over to look like you, speak like you. When we get older, we should not get bitter. We should get better. We should look more like Christ. We should reflect more of Christ, that the full stature of Christ is in us. And then he says, bear his own cross. Now, in the context of the culture here, this was borrowed from a Roman practice. When they crucified people, the person they were crucifying had to bear his own cross like Jesus did. He had to carry his cross. That was publicly humiliating. They know that he was sentenced for something. They knew the moment they saw the cross on this person, they knew something was happening. Christ says, if you want to follow me, you cannot be ashamed to be publicly known that you're a follower of me. If you want to follow me, people need to say that you are, you are carrying a cross. You are saying no to things they say yes to. And you say yes to things that they say no to. You are different. You are carrying a different cross. You are living a different life, not because you have to. No, because you discovered a value in Christ. And every price worth to pay is worthy of paying it. Because you found a value in Christ. You are willing to go through hardship and stay faithful to Christ. You're willing to be rejected and stay faithful to Christ. Taking up your cross means, Lord, I am okay. I am willing to deny self, to die to self, to come to the end of self. And every moment that there is, there is a humiliation. What is humiliation? Humiliation is simply just God's beautiful process to bring us to a place where we die to ourselves and He can be exalted. It's not a bad place. It's a very good place. What is the problem? It's when we don't want to allow God to deny ourselves. When we don't want, let me fight for myself. Let me defend myself. Friend, the moment you and I try to defend ourselves, we step away from Christ defending us. It's good to die to ourselves. It's good to be unknown and not seek for any glory. It's good not to be famous. It's good not to have a name that everybody shouts. It's good that Christ is exalted and I am, you know, being low, made low. It's good that Christ is becoming preeminent and I am nothing. It's good that we empty ourselves and exalt Christ. It is godly. That is the culture we're talking about here. We live in a culture where every single man wants their name to be shouted. Every person wants to be famous. Every person wants to know who follows me. And we're living in a culture. Are we part of the culture? Are we counterculture? He's calling us to bear our cross. He's calling us to be different. He's calling us to be so devoted to Christ that we look like Christ. Luke 9, verse 23 to 24. And he said to all, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And everyone is willing to lose his life for my sake will save it. See, Christ is giving us the understanding when we are willing to lay it down and we're willing to trust God. You see, the problem is not so much we look at you, I need to die to myself, I need to give up everything. What we're not seeing is 
we're missing the point. What is in? What happens when we do that? We find life that we're looking for for the first time. We find the freedom we're looking for for the first time. We find the value of everything because we're willing to lay it down. We put our trust in Christ. The problem is not laying our lives down. The problem is we trust in Christ. Do we trust Jesus? What will he do with our lives if we give it to him? Will he mess it up? How have you been doing with your life so far? What will he do with, what will Christ do with my marriage when I give it up? What will God do with my parenting? How how have you been doing so far? When you hand over your business, will he mess it up? Do we really know Jesus? Do we really know God? See, he's calling us to a place where we will trust him. We live in a world where self-pleasure is at the order of the day. We work to play. And we pay to play. But God is calling us to a place where we say, Lord, everything, even if I play, work, everything is unto you. It's worship unto you. The third requirement, Christ just takes it to the climax. Verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. He takes it from relationship. He takes it to calling in our business and our work environment, right to the place of everything that you have and everything that you are. If you're not laying it down and come to me, you will never discover who I am. The reason why many Christians never, never step into freedom is because the bondage they hold on to is self. The reason why many Christians never experience the promises of the Word of God is not because they not name it and claim it. It's they are not willing to give up what they should give up so that they can gain what they will gain if they give up. Christ before everything. You see, here we find the climax. A complete surrender of all that we are. A complete surrender of all that you have and all that you are. For all of him. Is that an unfair deal? A complete surrender. Oh, but that's a price full. It's a sacrifice. Really? You want to buy the phone? You say you're going to pay a thousand rand. You're not going to buy this phone for a thousand rand. It's not going to happen. My answer is no. Why? Because the value of this phone is not a thousand rand. If you want to buy something, this laptop, the value of this has got a certain value. And if you're willing to pay that value, why? Because you want the laptop. You're willing to pay for the cell phone because you want the cell phone. It's not a bad thing. It's actually totally biblical. If we lower the value of Christ, you will never serve him. It's in fact putting Christ at the ultimate value. What's he worth? What are you willing to pay? Oh, we're going to serve God. We're going to, really? You're not even willing to pay two minutes? And you say you're going to serve God with all your heart? He's making it clear you need to come out of the crowd if you want to be my disciple. There needs to be a change of priority, a change of identity, a change of everything. If you want to serve me, you should look like somebody who sees me as valuable. Because if I'm not valuable, you will never communicate value. You'll live a life that says Christianity is a sacrifice. And that's in fact not a sacrifice. It is the greatest gain. He's calling us to a place where we will allow God, when we renounce everything, 
we actually discover everything. And then every one of his statements ends off with, you cannot be my disciple. What is he saying? He's defining every condition. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot. See, this is counterculture because the culture says, you can do all things. You see, we're easy to jump to the scripture. Oh, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. No, you cannot. If you're not willing to lay down your life, you can do nothing because Christ won't strengthen you. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. That was not written for you. That was written for the nation of Israel as a collaborative nation. As they work together and they fulfill God's purposes, God has plans for them. There's no plan for individualism. There's no plan for self-defined Christianity. There's no plan for Christianity that says, I'm not willing to pay the price, but I want to have the full benefit. It's like someone who says to a lady, I want to have full benefit from you, but I'm not willing to make the commitment to you. We don't call it love, we call it lust. Love is, lust is when you want to benefit from somebody else's expense, you want to benefit from someone else at their expense. Love is you want others to benefit at your expense. He says you cannot means it's not difficult, it's impossible. Unless you come to me and I change your heart. Unless you come to me and you get born again, you get a new spirit, you get a new understanding, and from that new spirit, new understanding, everything else becomes new. It's not driven by manipulation or guilt or shame. It's driven from a love that you discover something in God that you've never had before. And because you've discovered it in God, you suddenly realize that's more worthy. It's more valuable than anything I own. Therefore, they sold stuff. They gave things away. They changed things. They turned their back on some things. Why? They wanted to follow. The key focus is not on how much the price is that you need to pay. The key focus is actually rather the misunderstanding, the lack of understanding to see the value of who Christ is. If Christ is worth it, are we willing to pay the price? Matthew 10, verse 38, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Is Christ worth the sacrifice? Oh, let me give God a tenth. Those scriptures were never meant as a tenth. We actually belong completely to Christ. It's just part of our stewardship that we start with a tenth. But the other 90% is still Christ because I belong to another. I've come under new management when I gave my life to Christ. Does Christ ask of you me that he himself are not willing to do himself? Come follow me, deny yourself. What did Christ do? He denied himself. He took up his cross. He left father, family, mother, and died. He did exactly. He's not a God who commands us to do things that he lives by different rules. Now he said, I model this to you. If you want to follow me, you're going to follow my footsteps. I lay down my life. I let my family, my father, every, I was willing to die because I put a value on you. All I ask you, do you put a value back on me? Am I valuable? Those who say Christ is not worth it, they are not worthy of being called his followers. This is what he's saying. If
if Christ is Lord, first and foremost, first and foremost, over what? Over every single relationship. Christ defines our relationships. Christ defines our marriage. Christ defines our parenting. Christ defines our friendships. Christ defines even the friendships that we're reaching out to, how we reach out and why we reach out. Christ defines. Christ defines our time, how we spend our time. Do we have time? Well, there's no one of us that don't have time unless you're dead. We all have 24 hours. Exactly the same time has been allocated to every single one of us. It depends what you do with your time. You don't get more time. We all have time. Our talents. You've got this talent, that person, that talent. Come serve. Do, what do you do? Bring your talents to the family. Bring your talents to the kingdom. Bring your talents as an act of worship. You know what the work word means? It means actually to worship. And work existed before the sin existed. Work was part of creation. Work as unto God. Bring your treasures and everything unto Christ. He is first. Above all relationships. Above our own purposes. And above everything else. He's calling us to a new culture. What is this new culture? The new culture means you have a new Lord. He says, when you want to follow me out of the crowd, understand this. I'm calling you to submit to me as Lord. You have a choice if you want to do that, but there is no other way in Christianity. He is Lord. It's a willing surrender to a new management. From new Lord, you move into a new identity. He defines who you are. He's, he cuts off all the negative stuff and he says, this is who you are. You are my son. You are my daughter, my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. And there's an identity you find in Christ you'll never find in the world. And from new identity, you start to live with new priorities. The things of God become suddenly more important than things of the world. The things of God suddenly become why you live, why you wake up, why you do business, why you do relationships. And suddenly from there, there's a new destiny. We are not part of the crowd. We are different. We are not part just of society. We need to influence society. We're not just attending a church service. We're here to become a people, a holy priesthood, a nation, a people belonging to God who looks like God for the purpose of God. That's why we're here. And once church loses this, it's no longer a church. Church is defined by Christ. It's for Christ. It's unto Christ. The bottom line, what I'm sharing with you today, this is actually a love letter to us. Christ says, well, you know what I desire? Follow me. Trust me and see what I will do with your life. The mistrust that the enemy has put in our hearts as we read these scriptures with cultural bias misleads us to never discover the value of who Christ is. I want to end with a statement and I want you to go and think about it at home. Listen to this. If Christ is not valued above everything else, is Christ then truly be found? That you really found Christ. Because you can't say, Phil, this diamond is worth 100 million unless you know it. And if it's worth 100 million, whom of you will pay 100,000 for it? Easily, it's no price because the diamond is valued much more. The moment we lower the price, we actually lower the value of Christ. He is above every human being sitting in this place. He's above every rand and every cent. There's no dollar, there's no pound that can even value and even pay 
the value of Christ. May our lives reflect that. Father, we thank you this morning that you're calling us to a different, out of the crowd. Some of you are sitting here this morning and say, Lord, you're calling me out of the crowd to look different, to be separated, not because we're better, but because we're saved. Because we reflect not ourselves, but we reflect Christ. You're sitting here this morning and you say, Phil, I'm not even sure if my life is right with God. I want to have a quick moment where I can just pray for you. Would you raise your hand? And you know your life is not right with God. That means you're not sure you're born again. You're not sure that you've given your life over to Christ. If there's anybody, just raise your hand. See that hand. See that hand. Anybody else? This is a great moment where you say, Lord, I value you above my own life. I want to ask those of you just raise your hands. Can I ask just two lady leaders to go stand with them? Just want two lady leaders to go stand with them. This is just to support you. I'm going to ask those of you, would you all pray with this prayer with me? Would you pray this prayer with me now? There's another hand there. Thank you. There's another hand here. Is anybody else? Can somebody just stand there with that person there? Right. Can we just pray this prayer? Would those who raised your hand, would you pray this prayer with me? Pray this out loud. Lord Jesus, today I decide. I want to follow you. I want to come out of the crowd. And I'm willing to lay down my life so I may gain you. I recognize today I have nothing apart from you. Would you come into my life right now? Take over my life. It's yours. I give it away to you. Fill me with yourself. And I want to follow you. Become like you. Lord, I thank you for every one of these precious people praying this prayer that their lives will never be the same again. I pray, Lord God, from this day on, there will be a radical transformation happening in their lives. Lord, that they will see Christ valued and they will see the change of their lives. Lord, that you're calling them into a total new transformed better life. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask those around you, would you just please take their numbers and just make sure they're connected. On the last altar call, if you're sitting here and you know you're born again, but God's calling you out of a place of compromise. God is calling you to a place to say, if you are a disciple, are you willing to come all the way? Are you willing to follow me with everything inside of you? And it's not based on your decision and your ability. It's actually based on your humility to say, Lord, I want to. And you know that you've been living compromised lives. You know that there's an area, Lord, I don't want to give this up. Why? Because I don't trust you. And God is saying today, would you trust me? If that is you, would you just stand up? I'm going to pray for you. Just stand up where you are. Say, Lord, I surrender all today. Just quick so that I can pray for you. You know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And part of it is to say publicly, this is it. I'm taking on my cross. I don't care if people see. I'm going to follow Jesus. Anybody else before I pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you for every one of these people standing. Would you pray this prayer, Lord Jesus? I come to you this day. I surrender my life. I am your child. But today I give over. Take charge over my life. I submit to your Lordship. Come change my life. Father, I thank you for every single person praying this prayer sincerely. To do what only you can do. 
bring the transformation and the sanctification that's needed so that we can represent you accurately. Bless your church. Bless your people. Father, thank you that you called us to be a different culture, counter culture from the world because the truth separates us from the world. We embrace your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Welcome. Take your seats.